life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter in the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For everyone that shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have ye salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. Brother Atkins, go and come now and preach the word of God. Take your Bibles if you have them there and go back to where our pastor was reading in Matthew, or excuse me, the book of Mark, chapter number 9. Can I just say it's great to be back with you all. We enjoyed being here last, I think it was last February, and uh, it's a joy to be back, and we'll continue this week. Let me encourage you. Uh, I'm excited about being here, and I hope that you're already making your plans to be in every service throughout the week. Um, I promise, Lord willing, to be mindful of your time. We'll try not to keep you exceptionally late of an evening so you can get home, get the kids in bed if you need to, and I hope that you won't let that be a hindrance to you. Years ago, I had a friend over in the state of Indiana. Uh, His name was Leon Maurer. He was an evangelist, traveled around, preached all the time. Dr. Maurer used to always say this. He would say, when he was talking about a revival meeting, he would encourage the people to pray, attend, bring your Bible, and a friend. So maybe we can make that our model for the next few days. Pray, attend, bring your Bible, and a friend. And we'll look forward to some great times together. I, uh, for the sake of those who are guests this morning, let me encourage you, please don't judge this church by me. If you're visiting, I hope that you'll come back and hear this pastor at some later time. Uh, it's my joy to be here today and to be a part of this service, but uh, certainly don't, don't judge this congregation by, by me. We read our text this morning here in the uh, Gospel of Mark chapter number 9. You know, it's interesting to me that as we go along in life, we begin to realize that If you're going to be a preacher, a part of being a preacher is learning how to be, the word I guess I'm looking for is appropriate in the message that you preach. It needs to fit the situation. In other words, you learn as you go along that it's probably not a good idea to go preach at a rest home and talk about five principles of Christian dating. That's that's (laughs) probably, although I've been to some rest homes where that might have been a a good message to preach. Uh, Of course, on the other hand, you, you don't want to go to a youth meeting and talk about how to prepare for the years of retirement or something of like that. You, know, uh, you, you want to be appropriate in the message that you preach. I, I think it's interesting to me that here in these verses that were read for our text this morning, we find the Lord Jesus Christ preaching what is probably one of the hardest messages that is ever preached in the Scriptures on this matter of hell. I mean, he reminded us that if it was necessary to cut off your hand, he didn't say that's what had to be done, but if it was what had to be done, it would be worth it. He said, if you pluck out your eye, if you cut off your foot, it would be worth it to escape the fires of hell. But who is it that he was preaching to at this time? Well, if you look in our text, you find that it wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the populace, the general populace. Look, if you will, there in your Bible, look at verse number 31. The Bible says, for he taught his disciples and said unto them. And then come down to verse number 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve. If you go to the other gospel records, it'll show you 
who those 12 were, those 12 men that he called out, those 12 apostles. Jesus preached one of the hardest messages that's found anywhere in all the word of God on this subject of hell. And when he preached it, he preached it to his own disciples. Now, what I'd like us to do this morning is take just a few moments and consider maybe about three little simple reasons why Jesus preached on hell to his disciples. The first reason I want to give to you is this. Jesus preached on hell to his disciples because one of them was going there. You remember that numbered among the twelve was a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. The Bible refers to him as the son of perdition. He was that unique individual, that that person that's so hard for us to understand. He was one who accompanied with the Lord. He walked with him. He talked with him. He fellowshiped with him. And yet he never knew Christ as his Savior. And the time came that when he died by his own hand, that the Bible teaches us that he went to his own place. He he died without God and and ended up in the fires of an eternal hell. And Jesus had such compassion upon him. The Bible teaches us that when he came with those men to take Jesus prisoner that night, do you remember how Jesus referred to him? He said, friend, wherefore art thou come? He did not curse his name. He did not not swear at him. He did not uh, uh, accuse him. He called him his friend. Jesus had compassion upon this one, and he wanted him to have every possible opportunity to come to know the Lord. Now, that raises a question that we need to talk about just for a moment. Can we even really know that we are saved? I mean, if Judas was among those disciples and he was around the Lord all the time, is it even possible to even know that you are a child of God? Can you really know that? Well, let me encourage you, first of all, this morning, take your Bibles and let's go over the book of 1 John. Those of you that are students of the Word of God know what we're going to be looking at. Look in 1 John chapter number 5. And I want you to look at what the Bible calls the record. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. There's the record that God wants us to be aware of. God has given to us eternal life, and where do we find it? Well, we find it in his Son. Now look at verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you realize that the entire population of the world, past, present, and future, can fall into one of two categories, those that have the Son and those that have not the Son? Those that have the Son have life. Those that have not the Son of God have not life. And then he says in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that you may know, excuse me, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So here's the record. God's given us record. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And he's given these, this, these things that we may know that we have this eternal life. But then again, that brings us back to the question, how do we know? How how do we know that we have eternal life? Well, I I want you to sit sit still just for a minute and listen to what I'm going to say. This, This may shock you, but I don't remember being born the first time. I don't remember that. And I got a sneaking suspicion that no one sitting in this room remembers being born the first time. But I think there are some pretty solid evidences that that I was born. I know that that somewhere there is an official document from the government that states on that document that on March the 27th, 1951, that a baby boy was born to Vola G. Adkins and Linda E. Adkins in Pulaski County, Kentucky. But I also know this. I know that sometimes government documents can be wrong. 
I, I had a first cousin. His name was Wendell Reidner. He was born earlier than I was back in the 40s. And, and when he became a teenager, they got an official copy of his birth certificate. And when they did, it listed Wendell Reidner as being a female. The, the midwife that had attended when he was born had checked the wrong box on the, the document that she sent in. And for all those years, Wendell Reidner was considered to be a female until they made an adjustment. So government documents can be wrong. Well, not only do I have a government document that, that certifies that I, that I was born, but, but I also have the, the testimony of my family, my family members. But can I just be honest with you this morning and tell you this? Those people have lied to me before. When I was about seven or eight years of age, those of you that are long in the tooth like I am remember the old Ren 1010 uh, television show that was on, you know, about the young guy that was in the, the, the military and had the dog and all that business. Well, one time on Ren 1010, there was a show about a white buffalo, and that just caught my attention. I mean, I became so excited about the legend of the white buffalo. Well, my dad just nonchalantly told me, he said, well, son, I know where there's a whole field of white buffaloes, and I believed him. And so the next time we were, we were living in Indiana, the next time we were back home in Kentucky, he said, now, we're coming up over the rise up here. He said, now, watch out there in the field, and there's a whole field full of white buffalo. And sure enough, there was a whole field full of white animals. And I thought they were buffalo. And I went back and told the kids at school that I'd seen a whole field full of white buffalo until I found out later on that it was a field of Charlay cattle. But my dad lied to me. I mean, that's like, what could I say? He lied to me. He told me they were buffalo. They weren't. They were cattle. So, you know, I have the testimony of my family, but, but they've lied to me before. But you know what? I do know that I was born the first time because I have evidence of life right now. I mean, you all can look up here right now and see that I'm alive, and there is evidence of that. I uh, was looking at a science book, and it told some of the evidence of a living thing. First of all, it's made of cells. I guess I'm made of cells. It, is, uh, it can obtain and use energy. I attained a little energy this morning, courtesy of your pastor. He brought by a little, I uh, can't remember what they're called, but yeah, what he said. And <laughs> it was good. I obtained a little energy. And I've expended a little energy since then. I have grown and developed over the years. I have grown and developed in many different ways. I have reproduced. I have children. I have grandchildren. I have great-grandchildren. I can respond to the environment. Uh, I can freeze when it's cold. I sweat when it's hot. So I respond to the environment. I adapt to environment, or at least I'm working on that, adapting to the environment. And so there's evidence of life. There, there's ev- I, I, maybe the, gov- the government document may not be correct, My parents may have lied to me. I don't know. But I do have evidence of life. I'm right here. I have life this morning. Doesn't it seem reasonable to you that God in his word would have not just given us the record that he's given us that is sufficient of itself, and we know that God would never lie to us, but he also would make it clear in this record that he gave us that there were evidences of life that ought to be in us if we are truly a child of God. Now, you're in that book of 1 John. I want you to go back to chapter number 2 with me just for a moment. Now, I want to stress something. I want you to listen very closely to what I'm saying. We are not talking about how someone gets saved. The Bible makes that very clear. We'll see that in just a moment. We're not talking about how someone gets saved. We're We're talking about how someone knows that they are saved. 
how we have that assurance in our heart that we are a child of God. Look in chapter 2. Look, if you will, at, uh, let's start in verse number 3. John says, and hereby, now watch this, we do know that we know him. He did not say, here's how we know him. This is not how we get saved. But this is how we know that we know him. He said, if we keep his commandments. Then he says in verse number 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. There again, not how we get in him. It's not how we become a child of God, but it's how that we know. He said there are some evidences that ought to be there. Now listen to what I'm going to say. It's not for you and I to judge. It's not for you and I to look over at someone else and say, you know what? I don't see any evidence in that person's life. I don't think they're born again. We don't have that right to judge. This is how we know that we know him. This is not how somebody else, we know that somebody else knows him. This is not how I know that you know him. This is how I know that I know him. Because there are evidences of life that are in me right now. Yes, I thank God I can go back to the day. I can take you back to the time. I can take you back to the places, the old song said. I can show you exactly where I was at when I trusted Christ as my Savior. But I'm glad this morning I have more than just a, a place. I'm glad this morning I have the witness of the Spirit of God in me that I am alive in Christ. And there are evidences of that life. He said again, these evidences are shown in verse 3 and 4 by our obedience. Now again, we show it's not how we know him, but it's how we know him. Is there a desire to obey him in our heart? Then again, in verse number 6, he talks about our walk. And then later on down in verse number 9 through verse number 11, he talks about our love. If these things are not presentists, now again, listen to me. I want to stress this, and I'm afraid I'm going to be misunderstood this morning. This does not mean that we are not a child of God. If we don't have the love we ought to have at this very moment, it doesn't mean we're not a child of God. But it just means there's no evidence. There's no proof. That there's no, there's no uh, anything going on in our heart that confirms it to us. And we have a hard time. That's, that's why a lot of people today struggle with their salvation. It's because we're not allowing the Word of God to work in our hearts to teach us and lead us and guide us. And as a result, are you listening to what I'm saying? As a result, we don't have that peace that we belong to Him. I'm saying to you this morning, there are evidences of life. I know I'm alive. I don't care if there's a birth certificate or not. I don't care if my parents say that I was born or not. I don't need that. I have the evidence that I'm alive right now. There is life that's in me. And if you are a child of God this morning, thank the Lord if you have a time and a place. There ought to be that. And you ought to be able to go back to a, a verse of Scripture that you, that you base your, your eternal uh, assurance upon. There ought to be that. But there ought to also be the evidence of life. Amen. The evidence of life that's in you this morning. I'm simply saying to you, first of all, Jesus preached to hell, or excuse me, preached to his church on the subject of hell because one of them was going there. And that was Judas Iscariot. He was right there amongst the rest of them. But he did not know the Lord. Oh, wouldn't it be a tragedy? Oh, my soul, wouldn't it be a tragedy if someone came in the doors of this church this morning and sat here in this service and enjoyed the music and was blessed by these young ladies that sang for us and, and, and is, is right now being a part of this worship hour, and yet all the time you don't know the Lord. My prayer for you this morning is this, that you would see your need, that you'd turn from your sin and you'd trust Christ today as your Savior. That's the only way. You remember the record? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's correct. So I'm saying to you again this morning, Jesus preached on hell to his church because one of them was going there. Let me give you a second thing. Jesus also preached on hell to his church 
to impress them. Now listen, to impress them with the importance of the work that they were doing. You know, the world today would like the church to think that what the church is doing is not that big a deal. It's the government. It's, it's all of the, uh, of the agencies out there trying to do different things that are, are important. The church is okay. We'll, we'll go along with the church as long as they don't interfere with what we're trying to do. Please understand something. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know the terror. Did you remember what he said? He talked about a place of fire, of real fire. He talked about a place of worms. He talked about a place of torment. And Jesus wanted you and I to never forget, never forget the importance of warning men of that place. There's going to be a lot of things going on in this community in the next couple of days. A lot of things. I, I, have, I have no idea. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guest here in your city. I don't really know your city at all, but I'm sure there's a lot of things. There's ball games going to be going on, and there's public activities going on, and there's, there'll be all sorts of things going on. But my soul, listen to me. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that is any more important than the preaching of the gospel and the effort to try to get people to come to Jesus Christ and to save them from an eternity in hell. There's nothing more important than that. You know, a lot of times, let's just be honest, a lot of times we want to quit, don't we? We get tired. People rejecting you, people mocking, making fun. We get tired, and we want to quit. We want to let down. We, we want to stop doing what we're doing. But please, this morning, remember this. It might not matter if we quit to us, but it'll matter to somebody else. It'll matter to someone else. You remember the story when they, those, those four men that brought that cripple to the Lord Jesus, you remember when they tore the roof off and they dropped him down through the roof? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about those men? Did you realize if they would have just quit when they got there, when they got there and they saw that house was surrounded, I mean, it was like this building would be just so full they couldn't even, if they would have just got there and said, you know what, we did everything we could. We tried our hardest. We brought him here to see Jesus. We just can't get to him. So we're just going to quit and go. Nobody would have accused them of anything. If they went back home and said, listen, we tried, went back to his wife and family and said, listen, we tried to get him in, but we got there. There was too big a crowd. We just couldn't do it. So we, we just came on back home. I'm sure everybody would have said, well, okay, well, that, that, thanks for trying. We appreciate the effort. But they didn't give up, did they? Matter of fact, the Bible talks about the fact they went up on top of the roof and actually disassembled the roof and let him down through, through the, the hole of the roof to get to Jesus. They just would not quit. Why? Because they knew that he had a need and that Jesus was the only one that could meet it. May God give you and I that kind of spirit this week. It's going to be easy for us to get discouraged and just give up and, and decide, well, you know, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth the effort. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter who cares. The Lord cares. Amen. And it matters to him. And may God help you and I this week. May he help us to not give up on those that are unsaved. Why did Jesus preach to hell, about hell to his disciples? Why? Why, why? why would he choose that subject to talk about to those men that were already following him? Well, one of them was going there. But second of all, because he wanted to impress upon them the work, the importance of the work that they were doing. There was nothing in all the world more important than that. 
Let me give you a third thing to think about. I think also you would agree with me this morning that Jesus preached on hell to his disciples because he wanted them to remember that who is number one is not the important thing. As a matter of fact, this is probably the textual reason as to why he preached this message. When you're, when you're a preacher, it's, it's important to understand why you're preaching a message and what the background for it is. Look, if you will, in our text back in Mark chapter 9. Look at verse number 33 and verse number 34. The Bible said that when he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you dispute among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Can you imagine that? A bunch of saved people getting together and disputing about who's the greatest, the most important, who, who, who uh, is the one that everything circles around, a bunch of Baptists. <laughs> I just can't imagine that, can you? Well, obviously it was going on even among the disciples. And they were arguing about who was the most important. And Jesus took that occasion and reminded them about the fires of an eternal hell. And then how you'd be better off to pluck out your eye, cut off your foot, than to end up in that terrible place. And when he brought it all back around, you remember how he closed out the message? Come on down to verse number 50. He said, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Now watch this. Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. The greatest need in our churches is for us to have peace one with another and realize that nobody's greater than anybody else. Nobody's more important. Whatever work God's given you to do, that's what God's given you to do, and that's important. He may give someone else something to do that's more prominent, that, that, that puts them up in front of people more than it does you. That's all right. Because you understand the goal, the whole object, is to keep people out of hell. And if someone opening the back door on a Sunday morning or opening the doors and let people in is going to help keep someone out of hell, then do it. If sweeping out the building and picking up dirt, uh, the, the trash is going to keep people out of hell, then do it with a smile on your face and with, with a thrill in your heart. Whatever it takes, whatever place that God gives us, that's important in his economy. That's important in his work. That's important to accomplish his goals. I'm simply saying to you this morning, Jesus took the occasion to preach one of the hardest messages that you'll find in the Bible anywhere about a place where the, the fire is not quenched and, and the worm dieth not. He preached it to his own disciples. Because first of all, one of them was going there. And Jesus in his great compassion wanted to give him one more chance, one more chance to turn from his sin and turn to the Savior. He also preached it because he wanted to remind them about the importance of what they were doing. Nothing is more important than keeping souls out of an eternal hell. And then he wanted them to understand it doesn't matter who's number one or number two or number three. We all have our place. We all have our place. And may God help us to fulfill it and have peace one with another. Let's bow our heads for prayer.